We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4 through 6 again, because if you were with us last week, I tried to preach Nehemiah 4 through 6, and an hour and 45 minutes later, I never got out of Nehemiah 4. And so I'm going to do a quick recap of that, and then we're going to jump into Nehemiah 5, Nehemiah 6. We're going to finish up this sermon, finish strong. We do apologize. We know a lot of people follow us online and stick with us. We had a glitch last week in the recording, and so unfortunately you can't go and find all of that craziness last week. And uh, some of it I'm kind of thankful for because I really had no notes and I was really flowing last week. So this week I'm going to try and actually stick to my notes and deliver. How many of y'all believe God's Spirit's in my preparation as much as my preaching, all right? And so notes are not bad, but I'm very thankful for what God did last week as he kind of even prepared me for the journey that I was on uh, as I was in London this past week with church leaders around the globe. I promise you this, as best as we can, we're going to listen to the Holy Spirit and we're going to follow him in regards to wherever he leads. We've been going through this series. Uh, Week one, we talked about get ready, then week two, rise up. Week three, dream big. And then these last two weeks, we're talking about finish strong. Turn to your neighbor, say, finish strong. Come on, say it like you mean it, finish strong. Maybe flex at him a little bit. My boys right now are showing off their abs to me all the time. They're like, Daddy, check out these abs. And I'm like, check out this keg. You know, the abs are in there somewhere. And uh, Mac doesn't have abs. All right, older brother's already dog and younger brother. Hey, so um, in this series called Built for This, we've been focusing in on three things. And I've shared with you, we're kind of on the edge of point one and point two. Number one, embrace God's presence. Remember Nehemiah, at the end of the day, didn't follow his plans to help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. As he was praying, seeking the Lord, grieving because his people were hurting, um, it's very clear he prays to the Lord. And then at the end of the prayer, it says, now I was cupbearer to the king. The Holy Spirit gave him the very position and means by which he could go and execute God's plan. But that can't happen. You cannot go and serve Jesus without Jesus, right? We've got to lock in and embrace God's presence. And as I shared with you, our church has been in that season. The last two weeks, our church staff took that time off. We closed our office and we locked in on that first priority. I shared with you, even as we began this journey, I wanted to do a whole lot more, but the Lord slowed me down and said, no, Rob, Where our church needs to be, where you need to be, is to embrace God's presence. And God's been faithful. Now, as we learned, when Nehemiah heard from God after embracing God's presence, did he leave God? No, he walked with God. And so throughout Nehemiah chapter 1, even in Nehemiah chapter 3, we've learned that it's like, I pray, ask for God, he gives me, you know, his commands And as I step out, that's why it's so important for us to know Jesus Christ, because when we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. He's our great helper, and he walks with us, but it's almost like every step of the way, remember? We don't want to take one step forward, being our step, and then we're forced to take three steps backwards. No, we want to take one step forward as the Holy Spirit calls us, and then as we consider future steps, we continue to ask the Lord what it is that he's called us to do. 
Well, the second thing we've been praying for is equip God's people. So embrace God's presence. Number two, equip God's people. This Sunday, everybody say this Sunday. I believe the Lord is releasing us to begin this part. And we're going to take some strategic steps. We are here strategically out here at our PJH City location because we want you to know that God is calling us to come back here. We've been here serving the Lord through our Send Relief Partnership and meeting needs, building relationships, changing lives. We host a number of different things. We're serving the kingdom of God by allowing other churches. But we do believe that God has called us to relaunch our church family here at this location. And in order for us to do this faithfully, we've, number one, answered God's question, embracing God's presence. God has told us to do this. Number two now, we've got to equip God's people. And so we're going to be taking steps. We're not ready to talk massive details, but reaching out to you and asking you, how is the Lord calling you in this season? And how can we come alongside you to provide training and encouragement and prayer? And we've got team leaders that we're so excited to even present to you throughout the summer as we strengthen the hands of the people, as it says in the text. So I hope you're excited. As we go into, I'm not going to put a time limit on this, but we're going to go into a season where as we equip God's people, yes, embracing God's presence all along, we're number three then going to execute God's plan. We're going to execute God's plan. There was something so surreal about getting to hang out in Oxford, England like three days ago. And as I'm walking in Oxford, England, you know, I don't know when this building was built. I think it's late 1800s, early 1900s. And over in the UK, they would say, that's cute. You go to Westminster Chapel in London. These things are built in the 1200s. I mean, like older than America, right? And, and so like going in these places, well, I'm really big John Wesley fan. I did some studying of Charles Spurgeon over there too. And we went to a church. It was an amazing church. Uh, St. Aldate's Church in Oxford, England. This is a place where George Whitfield met Jesus. A guy named J.I. Packer met Jesus. Um, but what I really loved, right down the street at a local pub, C.S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien, that's where they kind of created all the works that they created. And what I really loved hearing was about Charles and John Wesley, who sparked the great awakening of which we are benefiting from today, and I spent time where they were equipped for God's plan. And I want you to know we're not going to rush this process of equipping God's people. Because when I heard stories of them as students, of practicing, of learning, I'm excited to step in this because at the end of the day, I don't know about you, I want to be found faithful to the plan of God that God has called me to. And so what we did is we jumped into Nehemiah chapter 4 through 6. We first of all went all the way to the end. Let's look at it again because we want to see the end. We want to recognize the end. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15 through 16, it says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul. Isn't that awesome? God calls, right, Nehemiah to rebuild the walls, and the walls are built in 52 days. When all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were very afraid. 
and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of who? Our God. Let's pray that, church. No matter where we're at in 20 years, five years, let's pray that whatever happens, people would look at whatever happened as being God, not us. God, move in such a way that you alone get all glory and honor and praise. We are failing miserably if we relaunch this location on the mount and people know more about vintage than they do Jesus. So let's pray this. This is the end goal. Well, let's rewind. I don't want to go into chapter 4. As you all know, I really love chapter 4, and I could probably stay there. But remember... As we go into chapter 4, we see resistance again, and we reminded ourselves that they had a mind to work. People resolved, they worked, they had a heart to pray, they prayed continually as they worked, and then they had an eye to watch. Remember that illustration of, remember, they had the, the, the hammer in the one hand, they had the work, and then they had the sword in the other hand. So as they were on the wall building, they knew that enemies could come at any moment, and I think that was symbolic for us. As we go to work, let's understand that when we execute the very plans that God has for us, the enemy hates that. And if you show up and you build the wall, God's wall, with only the hammer, some of you are trying to live life only with your iPhone, with the tools from the world. That ain't going to do nothing to the enemy except tickle him. You're coming at him with his stuff. No, we want the sword of the spirit. So these men and women got on the wall to build. Remember, there were all types of people as part of this strategy, serving and building. Some were building the wall. Some were getting, you know, coffee and drinks and sustenance to go and bring to those to keep building the wall. Some were protecting, and that's why we need all the different parts of the body of Christ as we look to build. Well, let's go into Nehemiah chapter 5. Because in Nehemiah chapter 5, we start to see that a lot of times when you build, we shouldn't just be as concerned about the external attacks. We should also be concerned about the internal attacks. For a house divided against itself cannot stand. And what ends up happening is in this journey, yes, there is Sanballat the Surarad and Tobiah the Tikbite and all these other guys from the outside trying to attack, but what ends up actually happening is there's a coup that has risen up within the camp. There's sin in the camp. There's disunity. There's backstabbing. There's doubt. Look in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. You're about to see a family fight. <laughs> Go all the way down to verse 9. So as it's kind of exposed, I don't have time to break this down. We've provided a little mini commentary for you in the book of Nehemiah. But basically, Nehemiah hears about this struggle from his own people. 
His own people were making some unwise decisions because you know why they were making unwise decisions? They saw that they had limited resources. So instead of trusting God, they started to try and take matters into their own hands with their lack of resources and cheated on their taxes. Started to do things that weren't above reproach. Started to compromise on some of their convictions. There's no way God can provide, so I guess I better step in and save God's vision. Even if it means stabbing my brother, robbing from my sister in order to get this done. And so at the core, Nehemiah starts to recognize this. It's so graphic, guys, that people were selling their own children into slavery. Nehemiah rises up in verse 9 and says, We are gathered here today. Can I get you some more coffee? Because church is all about you. And the pastor should only ever make you happy. So I said... The thing that you are doing is not good. I'm just going to go ahead and say this in a world that's hypersensitive right now. And it doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be our church. But please don't go and seek out things that are just bobblehead things in your life. If you have a friend that just does this at everything that you do in life, he ain't your friend. She ain't your friend. My true friends see hurt in my life, see pain in my life, and call it out. Brother, sister, I love you too much to let this continue. The path that you are headed towards is, number one, not glorifying to God. Number two, going to hurt you. And even if you're mad at me for confronting you, Nehemiah turns to the people and says, this is not good. Not good. Nehemiah also understood that this was a greater threat than any external attack from the enemy. That if the enemy could creep within the home and divide the home, there would be no wall. So, continuing on. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exact exacting of interest, return to them to this very day, their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, their houses, percentage of money, grain, wine, oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and acquire nothing from them. We will do as you say. Praise God for obedience. That's the work of the Lord. It says, I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise so he may be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, look at the unity here. Amen. Praise the Lord. The people did as they promised. 
I, I, I do believe this. And this is true of our country. Being around the Church of England, the Queen's Church, being around the Church of England, none of these pastors, I mean, we experienced some real revivals, some real powerful moments as we were in England this past week with leaders around the globe. They were very honest that the only reason why they were experiencing revival right now is because of a repentance from their past. And if I can just be honest, in America, we ain't going to see revival without repentance. The walls won't get built in your home if you don't repent first. If you decide just brush it under the table, ignore it, don't deal with it, you are never going to see the freedom of the Lord. May God's kindness lead us to repentance. And may this obedience happen in whatever phase that God is calling us to. Now, look at Nehemiah chapter 6. Some of you are like, that was a lot faster than you preached Nehemiah chapter 4. Well, I'm trying to land the plane. Nehemiah chapter 6. So they've just obeyed God. They've repented. We're not going to have this um, compromise. We're not going to keep sinning. We're going to trust the Lord. We're in. Let's go. And once again, the attacks come. <laughs> so please look at me, everybody. Don't be shocked when the enemy keeps coming. Oh, but God, we're finally at this point. Why is he messing with us? Don't doubt God. That's common. On this side of heaven, you are at war. There's no shalom. You're at war. Especially if you're obedient. If you repent... I want you to know, keep your head on a swivel. It's what we teach everybody that gets baptized at Vintage. When you take that faithful step to be baptized, that outward testimony of inward change, we beg you, I tell you, the moment you leave that baptism, the enemy is coming. He is so scared to death of your witness for the kingdom of God. This is what happens with Nehemiah. Look at verse 1. Now when... Sam Ballot, the sewer rat, Tobiah, the tick bite, Geshem, the goofball. I just made that up. I like, Phoebe liked it. <laughs> Geshem, the goof, goofball. And the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it. Check the side note. <laughs> Although up to that time, I had not set up the doors and the gates. Remember, we, we talked about this. you got to be real with reality. What you're posting on Facebook ain't true. No, look at our family. We love each other. We held hands. We prayed at the dinner time for that picture. Meanwhile, before the language, the food fight that happened. So it looked like things were done. That was intimidating the enemy. It had been very easy for maybe at this point, Nehemiah to get a little cocky. Oh yeah, even our enemies are recognizing we're done, but we're not. There's kinks in the armor. There's no doors at the gates yet. All right, everybody look at me. Don't post too soon.
That spoke to somebody. Don't post too soon. That's pride, most likely. That's insecurity. Don't post too soon. Many would have at this point gone ahead and posted their victory. I, Nehemiah, built the wall. Don't post too soon. Let a process happen. That's what God convicted me of being around those churches in England. I feel like we've been waiting on a lot here in Pittsburgh. A vision that God's even called me to. And then I read about decades of preparation before harvest. Some of you are dealing with some stuff. You're getting into some stuff and you think within one month it's going to be solved. Don't post too soon. The slower the process, sometimes the stronger the foundation, the stronger foundation, the more sturdy you'll be for the future. Look at verse 2. The sewer rat and the goofball sent to me, saying, Come, so they're in the process, trying to build the wall. Come, let us meet together at Hecathurim. Now, now get this. Sometimes the Bible's so clear. In the plain of, oh no. <laughs> I mean, it's probably a good idea for you to not stop building the wall and going to the place called, oh no. I mean, how much more clear. And we laugh at that, guys, but I'm telling you, the enemy is not that creative. He uses the same old tricks every time. And y'all are still compromising and stopping doing what God's called you to do and going to places that are clearly, as the world has dubbed them, called oh no. There ain't nothing but a whole lot of oh no that happens in oh no. These enemies are like, Nehemiah, be done. Look, it looks good. What an Instagram post. Nehemiah knows there's no gates. There's no doors. Come on, Nehemiah. Come with me to oh no. Oh no, he didn't. I ain't going to oh no. Look at this. But they intended to do me harm. Nehemiah was wise enough to recognize the oh no. That is oh no. And in verse 3, he said, I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And somewhere, the great philosopher, Lil John, is screaming, Come down for what? Some of y'all get that later. He's refusing to stop. I'm going to share a, a verse that's going to lead us into our response. If we got most of the band here, they don't know this. I want to see that, sing that Jesus Only Jesus song one more time at the end. Y'all can go ahead and make your way. It'll help me finish. Verse 4. 
Now check this, because look, this is perseverance. This is finishing strong. And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. So the enemy's not just going to hit you once, come with me to Ono, and then you're like, I'm not going to Ono, and then he's like, cool, I guess I can't force you to go to Ono. It says that the enemies came four more times. Oh, I defeated that sin in my life yesterday. The enemy's coming again tomorrow. And he was trained in his own life to say, come down for what? I ain't going to oh no. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. No compromise. No matter what. Mighty fortress is our God. Keep saying, come down for what? I love this, verse 5, in the same way, Sam Ballot, for the fifth time, oh, snap. You, Rob, you promised me only four times. On this side of heaven, you're in a war. I'm sorry what mama told you. Life's not just going to be dialed up for you. You're going to get everything you want. Sorry what the church has convinced you of, that the church actually is this amazing, celebrated community on this earth. I stood at the spot. They've paved it out on the streets of Oxford. Where one of the first martyrs of the Great Awakening was shredded to death. A man in jail watched it from a distance, this man being slaughtered to death. He was so moved by it, he confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior from the jail. He starts to profess Christ, and then he comes to this moment where they are going to bring him to the same spot and slaughter him to death if he doesn't recant. So he says, I recant. They say, that's not enough for you to just tell us now you're out. We want you to actually come before the courts and tell this whole world that Jesus isn't real. He said that he would. And so he shows up at court. And as he goes up to recant in front of this entire court, the Holy Spirit, as he described, almost broke his legs and brought him to his knees. He repented of his recanting. He arose, and what the court thought that they were going to receive, a moment of recanting the name of Jesus, was the complete opposite as this saint stood and professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and within three minutes he was slashed to death. It's because of saints like that, you and I know Jesus today.
the fifth time he came. He started to distract and all this. And look at verse 8. We close with this. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you are trying to distract me with have been done for you are inventing them out of your own mind. Geshem, you goofball. For they all wanted to frighten us thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. That's a prayer of desperation. That ain't somebody just going to church. That's somebody being the church. Oh God, strengthen my hands. So you need points. Put the slide up with points. Put all three of them up there because I'm never going to get done. Gail, you with me? There we go. Gail's the best up there. How can we finish strong in these three chapters? Please don't let me start sharing illustrations. We'll, we'll miss the food trucks. How can we finish strong? Stay confident, church, through fear. Stay resolved through limitation. But we don't have enough leaders, Rob, to start two locations. Stay resolved. The whole world is being anti the truth of God's word. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Stay resolved. Don't cheat on your taxes as you're trying to climb out of debt. Trust the Lord. Stay focused through distraction. And as we learned, yes, the oh no distractions, those are easy to say no to. It's the good things sometimes. The things that the enemy will disguise where you think, oh, this is the Lord's work. No, it's not. It's a good thing, not a God thing. Ladies who are single in the room, as you pray about a spouse, you don't need a good man, you need God's man. Don't settle for Geshem the goofball. Now let's look at Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15 through 16. And let's stand to our feet. For this is my prayer. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul. In 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Listen to me, church. This is the word that the Lord gave me, Galatians 6.9. It's on the screen behind us. This is where I believe Vintage Church is right now. Let us not grow weary of doing good. At least since I've had the privilege of being your pastor these really two years, but four years here in this city, we have done a lot of good. God has been faithful and we've been in the game and it hasn't been as easy as we thought. And we've had ups and downs and changes and all this. Don't grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap. Say those words with me. We will reap. Say it with me. We will reap. But there's an if. Verse 
There's not a promise we will reap. If we do not give up. So church, will you recant? Come on. Let's go to oh no. Oh no. Come on, come on. Let's... It's finished. Look, at, the church looks pretty. I mean, look at your Instagram post today. Let's, let's chill. Let's, let's sit back. Let's, who needs to work anymore? Come on, it's done. It looks good. No. We can't. We won't. And the power of God's grace, give up. And how is that possible? It's this song we're about to sing. Jesus, only Jesus. So let's sing it together. And let's declare to the one who is worthy of all worship and honor and praise. We will not give 